Tuesday with Tamika. Thank you guys so much for joining us for yet another week uh, of Tuesday with Tamika. We are on episode 15 and we are just truly excited and honored, you know, this to, to be completely transparent and honest as we do always on this podcast. Uh, these last couple of months have been heavy. You know, I was talking to someone earlier this week and we were just talking about the weight of our world right now. And so we just want to encourage you guys, like we always do, to breathe, to, to make sure that you're laughing, to make sure that you are taking time out in your life to just truly, you know, live. Although our world seems like uh, certain people, certain marginalized communities are unable to breathe. We want to encourage you guys to breathe and to live yeah. and to laugh and to love. So uh, me and P, you know, we stand in solidarity with the movement. We stand in solidarity with even the people that have lost their lives uh, due to coronavirus. We have not forgotten about that plight that our country is fighting. And we just want you guys to know that we are praying for you. We are here for you. And like we always do, we continue to lift as we climb. So this, this week, this Tuesday, you know, we, we have an opening scripture that I, we wanted to bring to the table because for such a time as this, we need to make sure that we are seeking God. You know, that is definitely our foundation and we're not here to persuade anybody on their religious beliefs or their spiritual beliefs. But for us, as for me and my house, come on now, <laughs> we, will serve the Lord. we will serve the Lord. So we, you know, that, that is our foundation. So this week we are going to open up with Matthew. 6 and 33. And the scripture simply says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. I know, you know, in our church and as we like to say, <laughs> I know that that is a very familiar uh, passage of scripture. And we've heard it many, many times. And as we were preparing for the, uh, the podcast, God dropped that uh, scripture on my heart because I think oftentimes we hear that scripture and we think that only in the context of money or blessings falling, you know, if I see God, I'm going to get these, you know, bands of make her dance, yeah. I'm going to get this money. <laughs> but in reality, if we seek him first, he will give us wisdom. He will give us knowledge. He will give us power. And as we're about to embark on this difficult conversation, we are asking God to be with us. We are asking God to give us ears to hear. We're asking God to take the blinders off of our eyes. Oftentimes we only see the world through our own special lenses, but we're asking God to widen our horizon and help us to see things the way he sees them. So we are truly seeking him first. We're seeking the kingdom of God for his wisdom, for his righteousness. And y'all, I don't, I don't think they ready, P. I don't think they ready. 
Ready? Yeah. They better stay ready. They better so they don't stay have to ready. get ready. <laughs> because we are about to have an amazing, I mean, we are honored, honored, honored. We have been honored to have so many amazing guests. And this this next guest that Pete's getting ready, before she do that, I want her to drop her wisdom on just how she's been feeling, um, you know, how she feels about this scripture. And then she's going to introduce our amazing, amazing guest. Well, I mean, your scripture, like, like you're talking about, a lot of times as Christians, we, we equate blessings to stuff, you know, our money, really money, you know, a provision, you know what I mean? So a lot of the times we just think, okay, God's going to provide, you know, shelter, food, clothing, all those gentle, the gentle things. But like you were saying, you know, God is providing access, you know, he will provide access. He will open doors. He would change hearts. He would do work that is actually miracles, like he's doing right now in our country. Like our country is flipped up, upside down, round and round. We don't know where we're going. But I like that because it's not familiar. So it's not going to be the same. Mm. So I just pray that God continues to provide that risk, wisdom as we, uh, you know, chart waters that we have not been. Um, yeah. But as far as our guest today, I'm like kind of like girl crushing a little bit in a weird way. But we have a lot of amazing um, people in our family. But our family, all like all a million of our family members would be nothing without this member. Man. The glue. And I'm lucky that I am an apple on this tree. Yeah. So we are going to be introducing our lovely father today, who is a strong black man in America. Also, he has 29 years in law enforcement. So he has a perspective very unique to what's going on in today's society. I think he is the best thing since sliced bread. He's amazing, one of my best friends and a very good father. So come on in, Michael J. Oh. Hey, 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 hey. How y'all doing? Hey, Dad. Or, or you know, my, I don't know. It's, it's weird, Dad. Okay. Sorry, guys. I'm figuring it out. <laughs> oh, my goodness, Dad. We are so, I mean, I don't know if we should call you like Mr. Sims for the vibe. I know. It's weird. I'm like, Dad. No, please. Let's keep it. You already, said, you already said you're transparent, so make sure you call me Dad, Daddy, Father. Just don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> Yes. So dad, P already gave like an amazing, you know, introduction to who you are and, and, and truly, you know, we wouldn't be able, I mean, to keep it 100, you know, yesterday is kind of what sparked this conversation as we were celebrating the graduates in our family. And, you know, there was a comment about our younger brother, because what P didn't mention is my dad is the father of six and he has six three children. girls and three boys. That's yes. correct. And he is, he's, he's an amazing, amazing father. And our youngest brother is uh, getting ready to go into his 12th grade year. We were talking about how articulate he is as a young man, which is kind of rare, you know, for teenagers. But I made the comment that to be his child, you got to be articulate. That's <laughs> right. You got to be able <laughs> so to plead a case. You better be able to do something. So dad, tell us a little bit more or tell our listening audience a little bit more about you. 
Sure, not a problem. Uh, my name is Micah Sims. I was born in Los Angeles, California. I was raised in Pomona, California, always repping the P. Pomona stands up outside forever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, went, I graduated from Gary High School in 1981. And from there, I went on to Cal State Fullerton University on a football scholarship. And there, from there, I uh, studied criminal justice. I was a criminal justice major. From there, I began my search regarding what type of law enforcement agency I wanted to work for. Uh, after doing my research on several agencies, uh, the last three that were standing was California Highway Patrol, Los Angeles Police Department, and California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitations. After doing additional research on the uh, uh, former two, I ended up joining the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation in 1985 as a corrections officer, where I worked at San Quentin from 1985 to 1990. And I transferred from San Quentin to California Rehabilitation Center in Norco. And I stayed there another seven years. So I did a, a total term of 29 years working for the state of California, 12 inside a correctional institution as a corrections officer, and 17 uh, working the streets of Southern California in a capacity of a parole officer. Yes. So as we always say, we don't bring you guys anybody on here that just has um, opinions, but they have they come with receipts, they right? Experience. So they have yeah. Experience. So we we definitely want to bring um, your perspective, being someone on the front line, because right now, as Pete mentioned, our world is upside down, and 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 this is nothing new. You know, we could pretend like this. You know, this is something that's shocking our country. Definitely for our household, um, these conversations have been being had. Yeah since I was five years old, you know, I remember yeah. you home telling us stories about San Quentin. And, and for those of you that don't know San Quentin, it is our, it is the maximum security. It's basically death row, correct, Dad? That is, uh, at the time that I worked uh, at San Quentin, it was that uh, institution alongside uh, Folsom Institution, Old Folsom, were considered the top, two toughest in the state of California. However, at San Quentin, that is where they house uh, the death row inmates or inmates that have been condemned to die uh, via the gas chamber. Uh, I worked on in that particular unit from uh, for two years uh, before I departed San Quentin in 1987, and uh, it's just you know it, it was it's an, it was an experience like no others to see uh, young men like myself that have been sentenced to die. Because when I started working at the prison, I was only 22 years old myself. Wow. So from going to college, playing football, to start working for the state, and then you know to end up working on death row, where I seen many people that not only looked like me but what what were the same age as me, it was a it, it was very uh, humbling experience to say yeah. the least. Wow! I can imagine I well. So we, we do have some some questions, you know, one of one of the things um, 
coupled with transparency that we like to do is we, we really want to push not only ourselves, but our community out of our comfort zone. So it's, it's really easy for us to throw up our black fist and say black lives matter and to, you know, have that chant and have that because this, this topic and these, the situations that are going on currently in our country, which, you know, turning on CNN this morning, there was yet another black man killed by the police in Atlanta, Georgia. And you know, the list just goes on and on. So come, we wanted to give our listeners a perspective of law enforcement, um, and not only just any law enforcement, but law enforcement um, coming from the African American community. I would also like to reach out to any law enforcement agencies that are not of um, the African American community. We ain't never scared and we willing to have this conversation with you guys too. So if you're interested in having this conversation, you can email us at TuesdayWithTamika at gmail.com. But dad, we're going to go ahead and jump into these questions and all, even if they differ from our perspective, we just want you to be as transparent and as candid as you, you know, you can, you ain't got nothing to worry about because you'll, you ain't no longer a slave to them. Yeah. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> so we would love to hear from your, your 29 years of just wisdom and the things that you wit, uh, you witness. Uh, we just want to hear it. So we're going to go ahead and jump on in. So our first question is, have you ever felt an inner, and you kind of already touched on this a bit, have you ever felt an inner conflict being a Black man in America and also being a Black man working in law enforcement? I definitely have. Uh, I would like to uh, begin my statement by stating that when I was growing up in Pomona, our next door neighbor uh, his name is uh, Mr. Roland Davis Sr. Mr. Roland Davis Sr., he's now has transitioned uh, from this life onto the next. However, he was one of six uh, African-American corrections officers to integrate Chino State Prison in the uh, city of Chino. Mm -hmm. And I can remember as a little boy uh, sitting near him and my father, uh, the late great uh, Reverend Buddy A. A. Sims talking about the stressors he was going through that when he was part of the group that was integrating Chino State Prison at the time, that the white corrections officer were, were they were picketing outside the prison because they didn't want anyone of color working at the prison. Wow. Uh, I, so those were his colleagues that they have sworn to uphold the oath to protect each other. But yet still there, they have a conflict within themselves that they didn't want him to go uh, and work and be in that environment. So that always intrigued me. I never forgot that uh, particular statement or story that he shared with my father. And I happened to be in the room and I was ear hustling and, and I got that information as well. Uh, but that also fueled my desire uh, to work in law enforcement. Uh, like I previously mentioned in my intro, uh, I started. Uh, doing my research uh, after being a criminal justice major, trying to determine which agency I wanted to work for. Um, one of my roommates, his brother was a lieutenant at the time in the gang unit for Los Angeles Police Department. I had taken several uh, quote-unquote field trips to the station in which he worked out of, and I had met a lot of people at the station from captains on down to lieutenants to sergeants. And how they presented themselves to me was in a very professional manner. 
Uh, the highway patrol was something that I was always interested in because doing my research, I found out that they are the highest paying law enforcement agency in the state of California. And I value my life and I figure if I'm gonna put my life on the line, I might as well get paid for it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Department of Correction. But what turned me to Department of Corrections is that I went to a party one evening and it was called a Code 3 party. Code 3 is the call sign used by police officers when there's emergency going on. So me and my roommate at the time, I won't mention his name because that was his brother who was the lieutenant. Uh, We went to this particular party. When we got out the car, I was looking at him with a worried look on my face. And I told him, I said, you smell that? And he just started laughing. I said, I think we at the wrong place because from the car, even prior to entering onto the property that we were going to, you could smell marijuana smoke all in the air. Mm -hmm. This was way before the legalization of marijuana uh, at that particular time. So he informed me, he said, no, we have the right house, go ahead. So when we went into this location, it was a, I'll never forget, it was a three bedroom house. And when I opened up the front door, there was a cloud so thick of marijuana smoke that you can barely see there. So now all the people that I had met on these previous trips to the station, I now see them as they truly were. Mm. They were drinking, they were smoking, they had prostitutes in there. So me being the person that I am, I, I started roaming through the house. I just wanted to see what was going on. So in one room, the only other time I've seen this much powdered cocaine in my life was watching the movie Scarface. I wow. entered the room and there was a big pile of cocaine, powder cocaine with straws and rolled up dollar bills. Uh, I entered another room. There were prostitutes there. There was just couches in the room. Then there was prostitutes there uh, giving oral sex to people that were in the room. And then I entered another room and they were dancing on tables and doing other sexual things. So I told my roommate at the time that I was ready to go. That particular incident right there just flipped my mind to, I I was confused because I was saying, well, these were the people that were saying, serve and protect, protect the badge, we're here to serve the community. Mm -hmm. And I was asking my roommate on the way home, well, where where did they get all these drugs from? Where did they get all this weed from? And he was telling me, well, when they do bust, they keep half of it for themselves. So when they have these parties, they have the weed and the alcohol and everything else that they desire. So yeah. I was always conflicted about being uh, a black man in uh, the United States of America and working in law enforcement. But I felt it was necessary uh, for me to be there because I myself have been victimized by police as a youth. Mm-hmm. I've been beat up at least three times. And most of the times it was because they said I was talking smart. But if you have to be detained for no reason, and if you're talking about my family, my mother, my father, saying we're trash, saying we, uh, we're ghetto, we need to go back to Africa, you're going to elicit a certain type of response, especially from a young man who don't have yeah. the wisdom and knowledge to know that what they're trying to do, they're trying to bait you into a situation where they can either uh, put hands on you and beat you up, shoot you, or take you to jail. So yeah. I've always been c- conflicted and even working as a, in the capacity of a, a, of a parole officer, we are assigned undercover vehicles where we go see the, our parolees that we supervise. 
most of the time it's in geographical areas that they have deemed to be uh, 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 problem areas. And I've been stopped on more than one occasion, uh, especially where I currently live. And it was until I threatened to sue the sheriffs, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, that it stopped. So mm -hmm. I, would, I would see these guys on the street. I would get pulled over because my license plate doesn't reveal anything except it's an undercover vehicle. And I've had them ask me point blank, well, what do you have an undercover vehicle for? Why are you the same officers? I've already showed you my badge. I've already showed you my credentials. But it was just so upsetting to them to see me working in a capacity that they felt I had no business being in. So yeah. I've always had a confliction, but I also knew it was necessary. Uh, my experience in the prisons has shown me and taught me that without me being there, then more atrocities could have happened. So yeah. therefore, I've always wanted to stand in the gap, not only for my people, but just for people in general, that those who try to take advantage of being in law enforcement, uh, I wouldn't have let any of my colleagues or my peers commit atrocities, not in front of me, because I let them know I'm a tell. Yeah. I, had no, I had no reason with letting them know that I was going to tell. So therefore, uh, I was like a pariah. Uh, but I didn't care, because I was taught by my parents to be strong, to be proud, and always stand true, stay true to who I am. And that, so that's what I did. Wow. I mean, amen to that. Amen to that. And that it, it's so important. I know a lot of the time in the community, we're, we're saying, why is this happening? But we need more, you know, police officers with the mindset that this won't happen on my watch. We need more teachers with the mindset that this won't happen on my watch. Doctors, lawyers, everybody. So it's so important to, to be, you know, to hang in that space. So, but one, one specific question that comes to mind is what changes do you think need to be made in law enforcement to better serve the black community? I think one of the ways that law enforcement can better serve the uh, black and or African-American community is um, I think to put it, I, I, th I think the, the black community has to serve itself by applying for these positions. Mm -hmm. I used to go out when I was a parole officer working in the early 90s in Los Angeles. I used to go out to elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools and sharing with the students and trying to encourage them to join law enforcement, to join Department of Corrections or any other law enforcement. And I was always met with the message of why, why should I, why should, uh, should I? Because Unfortunately, those students at that time, they had such a negative experience based upon their own personal experience or a family member's experience and seeing what transpired at any given or particular time. But I think the changes that need to be made, I would, I would especially in light of all of the shootings that's been going on for 400 years, I think yeah. there needs to be a federal mandate. Mm. If there's a federal mandate, that if any law enforcement officer uh, shoots an unarmed person, whether if they white, black, yellow, uh, brown, green, blue, whatever, if they shoot anybody that's unarmed, if they shoot anybody in the back, because you're not a threat if you are getting shot in the back or if you're running away, there's no threat there. I'm trying to get away from you. Uh, 
So I think there needs to be a federal mandate that I believe the states ought to adopt that if you are a police officer and if you are uh, if you're convicted of shooting anybody in the back or shooting an unarmed person, I believe you should a mandatory minimum, just like they did with the quote unquote uh, cocaine in the 80s. And they had their mandatory minimum mm -hmm. three strikes. I think they need to have a mandatory minimum of 20 years in prison without possibility of a reduced sentence or nothing. I think if 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 police officers knew that from the beginning, they wouldn't be so quick to shoot a person in the back. They wouldn't be so quick to want to draw their weapon on a person and escalate a situation when they're supposed to be trained. Many times I hear and you see on the news where people are calling for more training, more training, more training, more training. You're already trained. Mm -hmm. As a former law officer, law enforcement officer, I had to go through hours of, uh, upon hours to pass the post of training. There's a continuum of training uh, that while you're working that you have to attend classes. When they say it's training, they're, 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 they're alluding to that like they don't know that this is already a problem. But also, they need to weed out these people more carefully. Uh, one thing a lot of people don't know is that when you are, when you do become a law enforcement officer, they have the police union. The police unions, to me, are garbage because all they want to do is continue to collect money from the policemen themselves, and they want to protect bad cops. Mm -hmm. Many times we hear that a few bad apples uh, don't spoil the whole bunch. Well, I challenge people with that assumption that if you only found a, uh, a penny size or a dime size of cancer in your body, would you say, well, I'm just going to leave it in because it's only a dime size and it's not going to affect the, the rest of, of my body? Right. No, you will go to the doctor. You will say, get all of it out. Get rid of it. Why? Because you know your body won't be healthy and you won't be able to function properly with that disease. So the disease of racism, the disease of police having the, the totalitarianism and the a total authority to act uh, on their own and to interject their own racism and prejudice in how they police people is a great way to start. But if they had mandatory minimums of 20 years, if convicted of shooting a person that's unarmed, then it would be okay. I think that would be a great start. Man, I, I, I second that. And, and where's the ballot? I will be ready to vote that in today. You know, I was I was on a previous podcast and we were talking about state law and federal law. So making it a federal law sticks a little bit more. It has a yeah. little more teeth in the game. Um, and, you know, I, Dad, I just want to thank you for your transparency because this is such a rich conversation. And I, I, I know that our listeners are, are going to be helped by this. So as we always tell you guys, if you're hearing stuff that's like uh, touching, you know, hitting bells and making you think a little bit deeper, hashtag those things, post them on your wall, share it, share this podcast out. We got to get this information. That's the only way we're going to grow as a community is if we continue to share positive information and positive ways for us to uh, meet these needs. So dad, another question that uh, we, we had was as a father, you know, you did such a great job parenting us. Um, although you sometimes you whooped us a little bit too much, but that's what another. <laughs> 
I guess that's the police in me, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need to have our own thing. Like, come on, come on. <laughs> you know, we got to always make a little bit light of it all. Um, as, as a father um, and someone working in law enforcement, what advice would you give parents that um, are raising African-American, and, and you know, I wanna broaden this conversation a little bit because it's not only African-American students, although our children, although that is our focus on today's podcast, but children of color, um, as you mentioned, a lot of times young people don't have the, um, the words to how to, you know, correct or to articulate themselves to officers. And you mentioned um, how officers often bait the children or the young people into you know, appearing to be aggressive or appearing to be argumentative. So what advice would you give parents um, for their children if they have any encounters with officers? Uh, great question. Uh, as you two know, uh, uh, I've always been a teacher. Uh, when I worked for the state for 29 years, 23 of those years, I was in a teaching capacity as well as my other duties. Uh, and as you look on social media, you see many people posting information regarding their culture of, of different cultures, of Hispanics, of Blacks, of Asians. And uh, I, I enjoy that. Uh, but I think it's, it's a necessity. Uh, my three daughters uh, are in education, which I always talk about to my friends. I applaud because being a teacher, being an instructor, is so important because you help shape the minds of those that you're disseminating information to. I've always uh, was taught from, by my parents to know who I was. I knew who I was as a young African-American, even when I didn't always make the right choice. Uh, they provided me with reading material. I also uh, taught, was self-taught in a lot of the reading materials that I obtained in order to further educate myself regarding who I am. So even uh, in, in growing and prospering, you don't want people to lose themselves. Mm -hmm. One of the, and I, I guess, I, don't, I hope I'm not um, diverting from the topic too much, but one of the things that grossly annoys me and causes me to think, besides the economic reasons, why are there people of color and that are members of the Republican Party? Mm. Uh, the hypocrisy of it, of it all, regarding family values, regarding what they stand for, regarding the quote-unquote Christian Party, the hypocrisy and out-and-out lies uh, that mm -hmm. they constantly affirm causes me to wonder who will want to be a part of that or, or who will want to self-identify themselves with that. But that gets back to being taught as a child who you are. Yeah. I believe that you can work in the capacity of a law enforcement officer, but remember who you are. Mm -hmm. I was yeah. always constantly reminded of who I was by being stopped by the very police that I was supposed to be working side by side by. Mm. Uh, yeah. I was on several uh, gang task force where we used to conduct raids against gang members and. And I was on a task force one time regarding sex offenders. And every time that I would go into a police agency three o'clock in the morning so we could do our business starting at four or five, the room would get quiet. 
and they would get quiet because they didn't expect me to be there. Mm. But I refused to um, deny who I was as a human being mm -hmm. and, and join up with people who wanted me to laugh at their jokes that were off color, who wanted me to turn my head when they were being disrespectful to somebody else. Once again, that was taught from home. Yeah. I've always, as you know, in the summertime, uh, my children had to read books. My children had to go to school. My children had to watch videos about their culture. It wasn't, it wasn't a matter of if they wanted to do it, they had to do it. Uh, and there was if, ands, or buts. But in doing so, you develop a sense of pride about yourself. And when you love yourself, regardless of what type of status that you achieve in life, regardless of who you marry in life, regardless of who, what type of associations that you have. When you love yourself, you will always probably identify and project who you are. So mm -hmm. being taught from home, don't depend upon somebody that many times I hear people say, well, the teachers don't care about my children. That may be true, but if it's true, you have a responsibility to teach them yourself. Yes. Turn off the uh, love and hip hop. Turn off the housewives of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Turn that mess off that constantly shows us in the bad light and open up a book, buy a video, get a web streaming service that's gonna show us in the positive light that, you, that you're hoping for someone else to do that you don't already have confidence in them. Yeah. yeah. Do it yourself. Get off your own behind and do it yourself. My father used to say all the time, and I constantly affirm it now, that faith without works is dead. Well, so get your faith a job. Too many people <laughs> screaming faith, and their faith is unemployed. If mm. your faith is unemployed, you don't have any. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. I mean, that was good. <laughs> oh, man. Moving forward, how do you think um, there can be re reconciliation between uh, the Black community and the judicial system? Uh, I think the beginning stages of that would be that the entire judicial system owes the African-American community, the Native American community, the Hispanic uh, uh, American community, they all want an apology, yeah. a sincere apologies for centuries of abuse, centuries of setting them up, centuries of murdering them, of marginalizing them. This has been going on for centuries. Yeah. I think that there can be reconciliation, but without acknowledgement that there has been wrongdoing. Uh, as I often share that in this country, in Jamestown in 1619, where the first Africans landed and were then enslaved, uh, the whole language has to change. Many times when people say, well, they were slaves, I've learned to really be cognizant, not to use language like that. Mm -hmm. No one is born a slave. Mm -hmm. There are free people that have been enslaved by their oppressor. Mm -hmm. And if it's perpetual, then they're being enslaved perpetually. Uh, but 
One of the things that I think would be a very good point or starting point is to take away some of the funding. I know people have different opinions about defunding of the police, uh, but if you spend uh, $60,000 a year incarcerating somebody versus $20,000 a year in educating them, there's an imbalance there. Yeah. It's not fair from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think what many people don't know that the inception of the policing agencies as a whole was started during slavery. Mm -hmm. The officer, which later became the officer, mm -hmm. their sole job was to keep the enslaved Africans in line, keep them from revolting, keep them from running away, keep them from thinking about anything else except doing what the master wanted them to do. So from the inception, the, the term officer and overseer, they are synonymous with one another. And what it does, it creates the painting of a picture that this is the enemy. This is who you should be afraid of. These are the people that are causing a problem. Whenever, unfortunately in this country, from my uh, years of experience, especially during election time, they want to put a black or brown face on this is the problem. This is why we need uh, law enforcement. This is why we need this. So there's always been a disconnect because the uh, uh, just like the days of the overseer, the law enforcement agencies have not, and I repeat, have not effectively served communities in which they govern. Mm -hmm. They have not served them effectively. They have always went in there with the mindset that these are the bad people. These are the people that need to be controlled. These are the areas in which there's crime going on. There's crime going on in Beverly Hills like it is in Compton. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the police presence creates a system that, okay, if they throw a rock, we're going to incarcerate them. That, okay, that, that there, there's more crime in those particular areas. So to answer, if I think that there could, if there could be a uh, reconciliation between the two, I think if you dismantle it down to almost zero, mm. get rid of the private prisons. Private prisons are only utilized to make money. Mm. Pure and simple. Most people don't know. If you are an owner of a private prison and you have a contract with the state, the state that you have your prison in, they are required to provide a certain amount of capacity at your location in order to get paid. One of the things that I would uh, suggest, a book that really helped me, uh, is this book called Black Robes, White Justice mm. by Bruce Wright, called Black Robes, White Justice. The author is Bruce Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. He was a lawyer in New York in the early 70s who fought against the uh, disproportionate numbers of black and brown people being sentenced to Rikers Island. And he chronicles the fights that he had with his own colleagues that were handing out long sentences that could have been probation, that were handing out uh, an exorbitant amount of jail time to people that didn't look like them. And when people of color was coming before them, 
they were handing out these long sentences uh, and he called them out on it. That book is very encouraging to me. Uh, I sometimes I, I've read it like four times. I re revisit it just to remind myself. And it's so, um, it's so, it's, it's so, it's so needed at this particular time in which we live in. So I guess to wrap up the, the question, in order, in my opinion, for any reconciliation, one, they must recognize the atrocities that have been committed, that they have willingly done to people of color since Jamestown in 1619. And two, they need to dismantle the entire system, do away with private prisons, and have a fair judicial system. I think judges, and we see it more and more on social media where people are convicted of the same crime and a mm -hmm. Caucasian individual may get probation or a year and a, a person of color may get 20 years for the exact same crime. Yeah. I think judges mm -hmm. ought to be called out on their sentencing. And if they're sentencing individuals for the same crime unfairly, I believe that their judgeship should be taken away from them. They shouldn't have the ability to affect someone's life so negatively when they're doing it under the pretense of racism and white supremacy. Yeah, and we agree 100%, you know, and this, I believe in doing so, this will trickle down um, from, if it starts at the top where these uh, mandates are kind of restructured, you know, I think people are misinformed when we think, when we say like, take away police. It's not that we want to just have this wild world where people are running around wild, uh, orderless and without any law and order, but we have to restructure. You know, when you, when something is broken in the medical, you know, medically, they, like you break an arm. If the break is bad enough, they have to re-break it in order to reset it. And I think yeah. that, that needs to happen in our uh, judicial system and, and, you know, our country when it comes to the police force and all those things. We got to re-break it and just start all over so we're able to reset it. Um, and I, that book, uh, Black Roads, White Justice by Bruce Wright, we will definitely put that in the show notes because that is a great resource that we all need to look into. So our next segment we have, um, we typically have listener letters where we have people write in with different advice or questions that they may have. But this week we wanted to do a, a, a spin to it. And we asked our community, um, we, we told our community that we were gonna have a black law enforcement officer on the show with us today. And we asked them just like, what questions do you have? You know, because we want to have this kind of conversation. So actually a lot of these questions through our conversation, you've already answered. You've, you've answered the majority of them. And I think he, um, if I'm correct, there's only one that maybe is still left unanswered. So there was questions about discrimination. You already went into the, the discrimination you felt as a badge holding officer. So you're showing yeah. these people your badge and they're still discriminating and using you know the microaggression that you mentioned saying how did you you people you yeah. know people don't realize that is microaggression that is and and, and to simple terms that's racism we we come up with all these fancy terms and, and and things to try to minimize the experience of folks but that is racism so thank you so much for going into that and, and really explaining that the other thing that was a question that was already written into ours was 
how to reconcile racism. And I'm with you, just tear the whole thing up. Let's start all over. Um, and then you, you talked about experience racism on the job. This was a very interesting question. Um, and although I work in education, my passion is mental health. You know, I, I am an advocate, well, me and P both are, but my profession leads me more towards the mental health field. Um, so there was a question about, um, you talked about trainings and different, um, you know, I, the extensive amount of trainings. Uh, there was a question about, and I think that this is in direct uh, relation to the most recent uh, shooting, police shooting that we saw on camera. Um, our police officers are those that work in law enforcement. Do they have any education or are they trained in substance abuse and uh, drug and alcohol counseling? Uh, during their initial training of, uh, during the police officer standardized training or post, uh, there is a segment which uh, there is primarily is called drug recognition, where police officer during your training, you're supposed to be able to ascertain if a person is on drugs and what uh, possibly what type of uh, narcotics or alcohol may be governing how they're acting. However, I would venture to say that the best training is your family. Mm. You already know from the picnics and the family reunions, you already know who used though. You mm. already know how they act. You already know who's gonna come high. You already know. And if you're able to navigate during that time, then why, and, and able to uh, effectively communicate with those people, why is it so difficult for you, I always for you to, effectively communicate with somebody who may be under the influence. It may be medically induced mm -hmm, that are yeah. acting uh, not common. Uh, I often give the analogy because I've had this conversation uh, many times over with uh, former colleagues of mine. When they talk about the Rodney King incident, many of the times the first thing that they say is he was on PCP. It was never proven that he was on PCP. Mm -hmm. They took blood from him. It was never, it was tested. He had marijuana in his system. He had alcohol in his system. It was never proven that he was on PCP. Mm -hmm. I say that uh, uh, more than once because they said, well, that's why they kept hitting him because he was a continual threat. Like you said at the beginning of, or, or during your podcast, if you get a whipping with a belt, you're not going to lay still. Right. So <laughs> You yeah. <laughs> you're going to continue to move. It's yeah. real simple, but people choose to believe what they want to uh, believe based upon who's the boogeyman is. So yeah. they considered him to be the boogeyman. So therefore, a continual beating was warranted and justified. And by showing them all the facts, all the facts that was laid out before them, they still couldn't come up with a guilty verdict, which we know what happened in the aftermath. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's there, there's a consequence to all of our behavior, good and bad. And although we don't condone looting and rioting, it is the streets talking, you know, it is definitely people tired of the injustices. So we just want to thank our community for sending in these listener letters. If you have more questions or comments, or like I mentioned at the top of the hour, if you want to join the conversation, 
you are more than welcome to send us your questions, your comments. If you want to be a guest on the podcast, email us at TuesdayWithTamika at gmail.com. P, with that, can you uh, lead us into our last segment, the Community Spotlight? It's us, the community. Yes. So like we always say, I mean, we can't help it. Our family is talented, okay? So you guys just bear with us. So yes, our yes, our dad was in law enforcement, but he also works on a lot of different projects and um, uses, you know, different avenues to express his knowledge and his passion. So dad, we want to give you an opportunity just to talk a little bit about what you got going on um, right now. Um, and just share, share what you would like. Sure. Uh, one, of, one of the passions that I've always had was in the filmmaking genre. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Clocking In My Life After Retirement. I'll repeat it. Clocking In My Life After Retirement on YouTube and also on Facebook. And I'm a documentarian. I love history. I love documenting history. I love people sharing their own stories. I love, I'm a community person, just like you two ladies are. I love going out in the community and, and, and just merging myself with people of different races, of different cultures, finding out their opinions on different things. So I go out, I interview people uh, at various uh, venues and events. I put them up on my website. And, you know, I just, I, I like to share with the world. Uh, I think it's very important. I'm a, uh, art allows me to release a part of me that has always been creative. Yeah. Has always been creative. So uh, through my art and through filmmaking, uh, I like to capture the uh, un, how can I put, uh, un, the, the, the natural raw emotions that we as human beings exhibit in our everyday lives. Unfiltered. He's an unfiltered documentarian. <laughs> Thank you, baby. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's what happens when your children go to school. They can help you in your latter years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and he already has a bunch of beautiful um, pieces of work that are on his YouTube channel. So in addition to the book that he mentioned, we're going to put all of his contact information in the show notes. So that was clocking my retirement. I mean, clocking my clocking life. Clocking my after, life after retirement. After clocking retirement. in. Clocking okay, in. Clocking in my life. My life. My after, life after retirement. After retirement. So yes. if you love Tuesday with Tamika, you're going to love our daddy. <laughs> so we'd like to go over to his YouTube page. And, and click, you know, subscribe, hit that bell so you can get the notifications as he puts more content up. You know, we need to, you know, I, I heard someone say that in the African-American community, we don't support each other. It's not always with your money. You know, you can support us by liking this podcast, by liking our father's YouTube page, and then sharing it with somebody else. So we're going to encourage you guys to go out, like his information, and share it. In addition to our wonderful father as the community spotlight, I just wanted to give you guys a few organizations that are really out there doing amazing, amazing work in the community. As you know, these protests and these 
quote unquote riots and looting are working, you know, because we have some amazing laws. The, the Brianna Taylor, may her soul rest in peace. The Brianna Taylor law just passed this week. The Amy Cooper with her old evil self, that law done passed that if you um, call the police on someone and it's racially motivated, you can now get jail time. I don't know if that's only in the state of New York, but here are some more organizations that can help you with uh, these laws. Uh, there's petitions that you can sign. Get involved. Do more than just post on social media. Get involved. Like our dad said, from a very young age, he taught us, you know, we, we went to rallies and we went to um, Juneteenth celebrations and uh, he, we didn't even celebrate Kwanzaa for, I mean, not Kwanzaa, but Christmas for a period of time. <laughs> we were Kwanzaa babies. So my dad has always taught us about our history, which is why you get this passion that you have for me and Pete, which is why we're educated the way that we are. And we, we continue to um, have a hunger and thirst for education. So here are a couple of more organizations. There's the grassrootslaw.org. You can go on there and you can find out all types of grassroots laws that this organization is trying to pass. There's the color of change. There's a know your right. And then there's the Bell Project. The Bell Project is a group of uh, individuals that are trying, as my dad talked about, the mass incarceration of black and brown folks. They're trying to reverse all this stuff. There, Yes, we are marginalized. Yes, there's less of us. But if we all got involved, if we all turned off love and hip hop, if we all stopped shopping at their racist companies, if we all stopped, you know, the boycott, um, at the civil rights movement that in the boycott of Montgomery, the boy, they, it was 362 days that they didn't ride those buses and that they walked and that they, you know, marched and that they did these things. And, and the reason why laws begin to change is because they hit them in the pocket. You know, not having, yeah. the, having black folks on the bus, it started to affect the economy. If we all get involved, and we start to make positive change in our community, it's more than us just being upset and enraged. Like my daddy said, and like my granddaddy said, faith without works is dead. So get your, your faith a job. Come on, somebody. Oh, Come on, somebody. <laughs> With that, we are coming to a close. This, pod, this episode has been uh, more than you know, my, our hearts, desires, or dreams, you know, um, and before P wraps us up, I want to be the first, because I'm, I'm the best child, just kidding, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to be the first to wish you a very, very happy Father's Day, you know, um, I wanted to bring you on to do a, a separate um, kind of topic about being a Black father in America, but with the recent issues and the recent um, state of our country, we wanted to just hear your voice because you are so well-spoken and articulate and wise just on the topic. Um, you shared some stuff that I've never heard before and you're pretty transparent, which is where we get it from. So it, I have a, a extra level of respect for you and just, re, you know, cause I didn't, I didn't know that you went through those things at such a young age and witnessing those things and seeing those things. And one thing I know about my daddy is right is right in his eyes and wrong is wrong. So he gonna party and he yeah. did his thing and he gonna do his thing. But when you supposed to be upholding the law or upholding the clergy, but again, we ain't gonna get into that. That's a whole nother topic. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole nother topic. <laughs> next time, next time. <laughs> 
he ain't, he ain't fooling with you. You know, he, we're very authentic people and we're real, you know? So when we, when I was out in the world, I was out in the world. I wasn't coming to church on Sunday, you know, but now that I'm out and I'm at church, amen. P, go ahead and close this out. Yes, daddy. I also, I'm sorry. I wanted in your community spotlight, I wanted to do a shout out to one of my mentors, uh, uh, Mr. Khalif and his, his lovely wife, Vicki Rashan. Khalif, K-H-A-L-I-F and Vicki Rashan, R-A-A-S-H-A-N. They are the curators and founders of the African-American Museum of Beginnings in the city of Pomona. It is a great place for those who want to uh, who's looking for a place that's local, who don't want to go to L.A. The, 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 it's a the great, fabulous museum where you can take your children. You could, uh, of all, there's something there for everyone of all ages. The African-American Museum of Beginnings is a great location for you to uh, enrich your knowledge that you already have about yourself. That's it. Thank you. Dad, That's no, wonderful. Thank you, Dad. Thank you so much. I totally forgot. And Mr. Khalif, if I'm not mistaken, he was a teacher at Pomona High, correct? Well, he was a teacher at Gary High. He, Gary he High. Gradu he graduated from uh, Gary High School when I was, uh, before I was there with some of my older sisters. He graduated him and his wife from the University of Laverne. They became teachers. It was Mr. Khalif Rashan, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Green. Uh, and Mr. Eileen Rockman, along with Coach Oliver Lucas, that were very instrumental in my life and helping me with my turnaround and keeping me on the, on the at least straight enough and narrow enough where I was able to get through. Yes. <laughs> there were some curves in there, but they helped me. And they're doing yes. a fabulous job in the city of Pomona with that museum, and they are still teaching, even to this day. Awesome. Uh, We'll make sure That's we put amazing. that information in there too. And that dad, thank you so much for sharing that because that was the perfect example of lifting as we climb. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing in our community. As we get this education, as we um, rise to greatness, we have to bring folks with us. Whew. P, go ahead and take us on now, sis. Well, every time we have this conversation, especially about this topic, I hope to, that our listeners find just a deeper understanding and it, it's not just what they hear, what they see or what somebody told them, but they're actually making initiatives to learn and research for themselves. From a, from a young age, we've always had to read and, and walk and learn. And so hopefully you guys are taking the opportunity to read, watch and learn. And hopefully through this, you can really just respect humanity. I think throughout all this, the biggest takeaway for me is that we've lost our respect for humanity, that though our laws say that you're innocent until proven guilty, that you have a right to trial, that you have a right to counsel, that you have a right to be judged by a jury of your peers, even though it's written, that's not the culture. Mm. And so, so this dismantling, we have to dismantle We've made these, I, I remember I was watching something and it was a video about someone debunking um, systematic racism. And one thing I've always find funny, and I'm, you know, just give me five minutes, I can hold too long. But one thing I always find funny <coughs> is, okay, I am a woman, 
So if somebody asks me, like, do you know how it feels to have, like, what, testicular cancer? I would be like, no. And there would be no possible way for me to know how that feels because last time I checked, I don't have a pair of balls. Excuse me, Christian. But So my thing is, why is it that people who aren't people of color always have to speak to the experience? And it's like, is this your second life or something? Like, how do you know? Like, how do you know what I'm going through if you yourself don't experience? Like, how easy is it for you to negate it if you yourself don't experience it? And so I just hope that people kind of, like, realize that. Because for some reason, it's always like, oh, but no, that, that you know, they wouldn't not give you a loan. That's illegal. That's why we have laws. For, yeah, but those same people that are under the law are still under racism. Mm-hmm. So they can get into legally bleeps about the law. They will find other pictures of the law with their different parts of the law that are built that they can, oh, you know what? I'm gonna stand over here on this law because it gives me the right to give you 25 years for stealing this pencil at the 99 cent store. Right. You know, like, so like people don't forget a person's humanity. You know, I don't care if someone was on drugs or someone was this. It doesn't say in the law, if someone on drugs, like, just kill them. You know what I mean? Like, and if you so scared, that was a, I was afraid of my life. Like, how do you think Black people have been feeling for the last 400 years, taken to a country, afraid for our life, being made to work, afraid for our life, being made to shut the drive, afraid of our life, like, being made to integrate with you, afraid of our life, like, but we don't go around just killing y'all. So, Sit down and learn some learn restraint, learn compassion, learn humanity. That's all I gotta say about that. Praise the Lord, saying. Praise the Lord, saying. <laughs> so, with that, as we always say, we want you guys all to join us in our crusade to live a life to inspire and not impress. We know that sometimes the topics that we bring on are going to be unpopular opinions for others, but that's what we're supposed to do. We're not, we are not conditioned to just go with the flow and to do business as, as usual. God has given us this platform and we're going to use it to the best of our ability. And as our opening scripture stated, we are going to seek God in everything that we do. And we just believe and we just trust that he's gonna give us the understanding because he's truly the lamp into our feet and the light into our pathway so as we always say on every tuesday with tamika we truly truly love you guys we thank you we are right on the heels of a hundred or a thousand downloads we have a thousand folks that have been listening to us and we just we just we, we cannot continue to do this week after week without your support. So we just ask that you go, you like, you share, go over to, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give us a review. Tell us how this interview, how this um, podcast is making you feel. Now, if you got something negative to say, mind your business and keep it to yourself. <laughs> Don't you, pray about it. If you down with the TWT, with the Tuesday with Tamika, let us know. And as we always say, love you guys. We thank you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.